Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Celtics Collective. I'm Adam Taylor, and I'm joined by Mr. Keaton. Now, let me do that again. I completely screwed that. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Celtics Collective, brought to you by Heavy On Sports. I'm Adam Taylor, and I'm joined by my very esteemed co-host, Mr. Keith Smith. How's it going today, Keith? I appreciate it, man. I'm going to play these little intros you give me for the family and give myself a little bit of cred here in the house because you're you're far, far more impressed with me than they are. I mean, man, I, I tell everybody, like, um, if people are like, oh, do you do a podcast? I'm like, yeah, I've got two. I do one with uh, Will and Greg, who you know, and then I do one with Keith Smith. And if you don't know who Keith Smith is, just Google him and <laughs> there's just going to be streams and streams of, like, Keith Smith. Oh, it's a big, he's a big deal. So, uh, yeah, man, I mean, I'm happy to build you up every day. Use me as the motivational tool. I appreciate it, man. You're my daily affirmation. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's got to do it, man. Somebody's got to build people up. I'm I'm, I'm sick of seeing everyone tearing each other down. I hear you. I hear you on that one. That is the truth. Talking of tearing people down, the Celtics are about to tear down the Hawks. (laughs) Uh, Quite brutally, I would imagine. So... I remember saying this. I've kind of. I'm going to be putting it on Instagram later, but I recorded it, so I have said it technically. I'm very, very confident in a gentleman sweep. I think that there's going to be one game, either the first game or the fourth game, and the reason for that being either you come out and underestimate them, or you've got an opportunity to close out the series and you underestimate them, and they they just snatch a win, right? Like it, I feel like that's going to be inevitable, but. I'm very confident in what the Celtics are going to be able to do in this series. And I think that this episode, I know we spoke about this off air, should be the one where we kind of start peeling back the layers, right? From matchups to what who we expect to excel, who we expect to struggle. So I kind of just want to give you the floor for a moment and just choose, like just take this in any direction you want, and then we can build off from there. Yeah, I'm going to build on what you said. I, I'm even more confident than you. I rarely ever pick a sweep and I'm picking a sweep in this series. I just think, I think the talent discrepancy is just far too big between these two teams. Now I will fully own Trey young can win a game almost all by himself, right? He could have one of those nights where he scores 50 plus. There's nothing you can do with him. He's pulling up from 35 feet and it just is what it is. There's also, I fully own the Celtics could have one of those games where they go out there, they throw the ball all over the gym, and they just can't make a shot, and they, they lose. But I think there is probably a chance one of those two things happens, maybe once in the series. And that's, you know, the Hawks need that to happen three or four times to have any chance to win this series. So I'm very, very confident in Boston going back and watching those first two games. I'll be honest. I didn't did my analysis. Was, I did not look at the third game at all. There's just nothing to take from, from that one. So few guys played uh, that were regulars and the ones who did were out there for a very brief amount of time. So those first two games, the first game shorthanded Celtics, Hawks were missing Bogdanovich, but Boston didn't have Jalen Brown in that game, didn't have Mark Smart, didn't have Rob Williams, and absolutely ran him off the floor. And then in the second game, the Celtics got a little sloppy at the end and let the Hawks kind of kind of come back, make it somewhat of a game. It was never really in doubt. And again, that was just another you know offensive performance. And re-watching those, I don't see anything Atlanta is doing differently. That's going to say, well, now they can all of a sudden slow Boston down. 
they're going to have to turn this into a get up and down. Let's let it be a track meet. Let's try and outscore these guys in a shootout. That's their only hope. And even that I think is playing with fire. Cause I just think, you know, the Celtics we've seen have a good enough offense to win that way too. Yeah. I believe that when you look at the way Atlanta are going to play defense, I just don't see a wing stopper there. I don't yeah. see anybody that can like realistically slow down Jason Tatum in transition. I think if they go big and put Jalen Brown at the three, or maybe go small rather, and put Jalen Brown at the three, I'm not sure who they put on him at that point because then Murray needs to deal with a Derek White or a Malcolm Brogdon. And that's going to be a big issue considering that the Celtics' two best weapons can play down the wings. Right, mm-hmm. like I feel confident on in their guard rotation. You know that Trey Young is going to be a problem. They're going to try and hide him. They're going to try and scheme him away. Boston may go away from their reference at times to time, trying to hunt him. But then you've got Murray, who's done a very good job defensively this year when, in, in terms of like individual defense. And then you've got Clint Capella protecting the rim. I just don't know how they're going to try and slow down the Celtics. It is going to have to be a shootout, and the Celtics just have so much depth in terms of offensive weaponry that it's it's basically you're going into a knife fight against a nuclear power. It's going to be so <laughs> difficult to try and like contain them. Yeah, I don't even know if it's, it might be more like they're throwing rocks and like the Celtics are, you know, dropping missiles on them or something. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But yeah, I, I'm with you, man. I that's. To me, I believe to some extent in the whole the team with the best player in the series is, you know, has a huge advantage. I believe in that to an extent. Boston has the two best players in the series, and that's all due respect to Trey Young and DeJounte Murray. But Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are the two best players in the series. So if one of them is having an off night, we can trust because we've seen it now. I wouldn't even say 82 times this season. We've seen it, you know, hundreds of times throughout the course of their careers. The other one will then step up. It's just, it's very, very rare the two of them play poorly on the same night. And if you're Atlanta, it just as you start to look at it, it's like, well, the Hawks could win if they do the, if, if, you know, these seven things happen. And it's like, well, the chances of all those things happening are, are just, you know, very slim. As we get into the matchups, I, I'm glad you brought up the Mari thing because this is something I called out on our preview on Celtics blog is Mari for Atlanta to have a chance, he's gonna have to log time on Tatum or Brown. And but the problem is he's one guy, he can't guard both of them. So you're kind of like, all right, we're gonna put him on Tatum or Brown, but then that means Hunter or Collins or Bay or Bogdanovich or whoever's in the game at the time has to then guard guys like Derek White or the other one of Tatum or Brown. And it's just going to get super messy for, for Atlanta. I also, I know there's some fans who are out there that are, you know, coming at us with, and I think the, the heat game was such an extreme outlier of like, they did, they dominated the offensive boards, you know, in that game. Are we worried about that? I'm not overly worried because Boston was the best defensive rebounding team in the league. So, I, yeah, the Hawks are going to get some offensive rebounds for sure. But I think if that becomes a problem, then Joe Missoula will just say, fine, we'll go two bigs then. I'll just roll out two bigs and we'll that'll clear clean things up considerably there. The Hawks only have a couple ways they can play. Boston has like 10. So it's almost like whatever the game tells us we need, that's what we'll go into. And that's the thing where I think 
people have not given Missoula enough credit is he does adapt to what the game is telling him he needs offensively and defensively, especially lineup wise, where I think the fans are like, this guy doesn't have any adjustments he can make. And that's just not true. Um, He does. And we've seen it even in a game against the Hawks, they were getting picked apart by Trey Young in one of the games. So they just brought everything up way up the floor. They started picking them up at half court. They started bringing all the bigs way up to the level of the ball, even, you know, three, four, five feet behind the arc. And that really kind of limited his effectiveness from there. So I, I just think Boston has a lot more versatility on both ends of the floor, the way they can play. And I don't know that Atlanta can come close to matching that. So I just want to go back and touch on that point you made about Murray having to defend one of Brown or Tatum. I think statistically this year, him and Brown have kind of, and it's very small sample sizes, but him and Brown have kind of cancelled each other out. He's done a good job at limiting what Jalen Brown does offensively. I think Brown scored six points in bit when being guarded for like 12 minutes by Murray. Mm-hmm. And Brown's done a good job of limiting Murray defense when Brown's on defense too. So even if, and this is kind of the mentality I've came into this with, even if Brown and Murray cancel each other out, Jason Tatum's still clear by far the best yeah. player on the floor. Yeah. And and it's such a gap that it's like, right then, now, no, even if you pick Jason Tatum, if you decide to do like high pickup points for Tatum, there's still a Derek White, a Malcolm Brogdon, an Al Horford, a Rob Williams, all available now to with extra space that Tatum can just find those passes. And then yep. for defense on the Celtics, if Brown is just completely be locking down Murray, you are forcing Trey Young to try and beat you. You are forcing Capella to try and create things off the screen. Maybe you're foul baiting a little bit with having to put so much of a, a screen creation load on Capella. And I just don't think that they have enough outlets. I like to call them release valves, right? When everything's falling apart, who's your yep. offensive release valve? Who's going to release that pressure? I just don't see where Quinn Snyder can go in his rotation to pull release valves off the bench. It just doesn't seem to be there. And then you mentioned, like, you know, the Celtics taking Trey out by picking him up high. Well, there's no real, like, secondary option that puts the fear of God into you that makes you not want to play up higher on defense because you're worried that someone's going to get in behind the the first um, the high helpline and then hurt you that way. It, to me, this feels like the best case scenario because I know everybody was kind of feeling concerned about Miami, uh, rightly or wrongly, after what we saw when they played Atlanta. You can make your own decisions on that. But this, I just don't see... Uh, this, to me, could be a real good momentum builder for Boston. But I also feel like this could be the worst case scenario because now they're not being tested and thrown into this elite level competition off the bat, which means there needs to be a huge adjustment in the second round. Now we can worry about that when we get there, but do you have any concerns about that where it's kind of just going to limit their, the amount of iron, like iron sharpens iron? I, yes and no. I, I think what I'm more worried about is let's say this does go four or five and let's say somehow Philly goes, which I don't expect it to go more than five either, but let's say they end up six or seven, or it's just a case where the NBA is like, all right, we can't have this second round series so far ahead of the other second round series. So we have to delay the start of it. What I worry about there more is the rust factor of like, all right, we got in a really good rhythm and now we're not going to play for a week. And then where is it going to be? The, the playing to the level of competition. It's funny. We've seen the Celtics all year long. They play up when they, when they've 
good teams, they're there. They're there and ready to go. It's playing down. That's more of the worry. So I'm not worried at all with that. And I think their experience level through, especially last year's finals run, I think gives them a spot where it is like, you know, hey, we're we're fine. You know, we 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 know what to do in these situations now. So I'm not too worried about that part of it. If, you know, they kind of cruise through here developing bad habits or anything, because I, I think also it's going to be Philadelphia in the second round. And I think it is a spot where it is, Hey, we, we, we kind of know them, right. And they know us. So we're not, you know, there's not going to be a lot of surprises there necessarily from either team. So getting back to this series though, to your point about release valves and all that, I think there are a couple you can go to if you're Quinn Snyder. You could go to Bogdanovich. You could go to Bay to kind of ease the pressure and maybe juice your offense a little. Challenge is you're giving back so much on the other end of the floor because you, you you can't play those two guys and Young and Murray and hope to have anything that's a functional defense. You you just there's too many attack points there. That's Murray and then really nothing. I think Boston's going to do a really good job. Uh, neutralizing Clint Capella in this series. He is not the guy he was out at the arc as a defender anymore. He used to be able to come up, get to the level of the ball, uh, pressure the ball handler, you know, hedge, recover, get back to his man, do all those things. If it was, you know, they occasionally did some straight switching, but if they did straight switching, he could kind of hold his own. He just hasn't been that guy this season, really wasn't that guy last season either. Um, so I think we're in a spot with him where it becomes – all right, he just doesn't do those things. So I think that's where that kind of neutralizes him a little bit. And we know how the Celtics are going to play him on the other end. They're just going to disregard until he gets two feet in the paint. And then whoever's there will pick him up and try to get a body on him. That'll be what it is. So if you're Atlanta, you're almost playing a little bit of, let's call it four and a half on five when you have the ball when Capella's out there, just because they're not going to worry about him at all. And then on defense, it's just, other than Murray, and that's only Murray in straight on ball defense. There's too many attack points for for Boston to go after, and and I put it in my piece. I wouldn't be surprised if they try to say, "All right, we're going to put Trey Young on Marcus Smart because that's the least damaging matchup for him of anybody in the Celtics starting group." And I think what you're going to see is Celtics will go to some of those plays where it's, all right, we're going to put Marcus in the mid post area, let him just either back young all the way down and into the paint for a score himself, or he'll create something to a cutter or a kickout pass to a shooter. And, and you get him in rotation. It's just going to be really tough. So I, I, I don't know that we're going to see Boston go to the extreme. We get a hunt Trey young, but I think you may see it. Oh, this is who he's picking up now. Let's go direct to that matchup versus let's run, you know, five different screen actions to make sure we get them involved. And you'll see some of that for sure. But I, I think it's more just going to be, let's just run our offense. Cause I don't know that they're worried about anybody on the defense of Atlanta. That includes to some extent, Murray, who he's a good defender. Don't get me wrong, but he's not the guy he was. I think collectively he's just kind of let go of the rope a little bit because, Hey, I'm not going to be the only dude out here doing this. Sorry, I had to shut down then. Um, I want to touch on this Clint Capella point that you made because I've been looking at this as, hey, this could be a key matchup with Robert Williams, right? You've got the prototype rim runner versus the, like, the new and improved Clint Capella that can pass. And my mentality has been, as you said, Capella's not that great guarding the perimeter anymore. He's going to be primarily a drop big. 
the best way to kind of attack and to really pressure what Houston, yeah, what Atlanta are doing. Don't know why I went Houston. What Atlanta are doing? <laughs> well, with Clint Capella and the Houston. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah but I'm throwing there. myself back like <laughs> five or six years here, if not more. Um, it's to stagger Rob, so Rob doesn't get on the floor when Capella's on the floor, and instead yeah. you're putting out an Al Horford and Mike Muscala, and then dragging Capella out onto the perimeter. Otherwise, you're just forcing people. You know, there's an extra shooter on the floor. You're going to play five out. You're only going to have four defenders guarding the perimeter. And now there's always going to be an open shooter. It's just a mm -hmm. simple driving kick offense. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. And Capella's going to be nullified on that side of the floor. Defensively, yep. what we've seen the Celtics do with rim running bigs recently is they they throw veer back switches at them. They put little guys underneath them, get, get right under their hips early, high up the floor, so that if they do try and back down, it's a foul. It really throws big men off their rhythm. You know, it's it's really pesky. It's annoying. Peyton Pritchard's actually very good at doing that. So is Marcus Smart. So I don't see Brogdon too. Brogdon this year has become very good at getting into to bigs, especially getting into like their lower body and making yeah. them uncomfortable as they try to back him down. But the problem is then, what other big man can Houston go? Houston can Atlanta go to? I don't know why to to try and um. <laughs> To try and find an advantage because when when yeah. they do bring in whoever they decide, whether it be Bruno Fernando or um or a Kangwu, that's when Robert Williams comes in and changes the game, changes the dynamic for the Celtics on offense, changes the way the ball moves, where the pivot points are, where your I like to call them fulcrums are, where you know you put Rob in that mid post as you said with Marcus. Rob can create from there too. Rob can create from the low post. I don't know a whole thesis on this. A lot of people disagreed, but there's a whole thesis on it. Someone can go read it somewhere. Um, outside of that, I, I want to touch on what you said about trying to, you know, find places to attack offensively using multiple screens. The Celtics have been really good this year at running like one type of screen flowing into a secondary screen. And then whoever they're on now, that was the, who they their desired tap point was because as you said, Murray is a, a, a on-ball defender. He's a straight-up man-to-man guard. He, when you ask him to start chasing over screens, he's not really a great screen navigator. Sometimes he'll make the wrong decision. He'll go under when he should go over and vice versa. And there's nobody there that can kind of cover and paper those cracks once they start to appear. I, and when you put all that together and then you think about what the Celtics like to do in terms of delayed cuts, if you watch a lot of what Derek White does, he'll kind of wait two or three beats after the balls drove before making his cut because now the defense is already overloading to the ball side and that cut just becomes so much easier to make. When you do that against a team that's already scrambling to kind of just paper over the cracks of one screen, maybe two, it's going to be so hard to, to rotate back over and close it down. Even if the Celtics are having a bad shooting night from three, I just see the basket being available for them all night long, every game. I don't know how they're going to guard across all three levels successfully with the rotation that they've got. Yeah, I think their biggest challenge is going to be they need Al Horford to not make shots, and nothing we've seen this season is going to tell us that's going to happen. Yeah, he may have an off game, but that'll probably be it. You know, I mean, he shot. He was the second-best three-point shooter in the NBA this year. Not among big men, but total. And it's not like one of these ones where it's like, yeah, but he took two again. No, he, he, that's what he does now. He shoots mostly three pointers. Um, the Boston is incorporated. I know you've called it up several times. 
they've incorporated Al Horford shooting on the move threes, which is just, you know, that's like brain breaking stuff where it's like, what, what, you know, we're, we're sitting, you know, I call them inverse pin downs, right. Where it's the, the small screening for the big and, and it's not screening for him to then get him in a spot up. It's like screen, catch, turn, shoot, like almost like you would with a traditional wing. And it's, moderately effective he's much better as a spot up guy but it's at least something you have to be prepared for and then if you sell out to stop it he's really good about finding the next pass driving the close out for a dribble or two setting the guy up there so it's going to be really tough i think atlanta's best hope and i think they'll get into this as the series goes along will be hey we're just going to play collins at the five we're going to put as much offense on the floor and we're just going to try to outscore these guys because i just i I think they're going to give in very quickly to we just can't get stops like like we can't get i I just again boston may go through periods where they may shoot it very poorly because they have done that at times this season i just don't see where that's going to happen three or four times in a single seven game stretch against atlanta really against anybody but especially against this team because they're just going to get the looks that they want i i will be very surprised if they are not getting a good look almost every trip down the floor they'll they'll rush a couple plays here and there in that now pace is going to be interesting hawks want to play fast they like to get it up and down the floor they've slowed down a little bit under quinn snyder as they run more stuff they're not quite as free-flowing as they were in some ways, that's good because it, it puts them in good things. They run some interesting things with Trey Young away from the ball now. Uh, Quinn Siders put the ball more in Murray's hands. But it's also not good because it makes them slightly more predictable. And I think the Celtics are at their best when they can really, all right, we know what they're running. And you'll hear it. You'll hear sometimes in games three or four Celtics that are on the floor. And then if the mics are good and you can hear from the bench, you'll hear a whole bunch of guys, not even the coaches, but players like, Hey, they're running this. Cause they just, they, they get it. They're a team full of very, very smart and good defenders. So predictability is not always great because they, they see it and they know what they want to go to. They know what their counters are. So maybe Collins at the five, a little bit more. I think Okongwu is probably their best. Uh, center in this series. I just think he gives you a little bit more juice defensively um, and ability to switch and do, do those things. When the Celtics have the ball, one thing that like I look at is, and I wrote this and I knew people were going to be like, Oh God, how, why are you like advocating for more isolation ball? Isolation ball is okay. Especially in these matchups, because you're going to have good attack points, but it has to come quickly. It cannot be the, we brought it up. We threw it over to, let's face it, it's either Tatum or Brown when these happen. They held it for 20 seconds. They started their move with, you know, four seconds on the shot clock and took a contested shot. If you get into, all right, pass, pass, then it's a quick isolation, clear that side of the floor, go empty and let them work, you know, 10 seconds to go on the shot clock, you're going to get a good shot because either the Hawks are going to overhelp and someone's going to be open or that guy's just going to get a good direct shot. I just, when I, you know, when I think of these things, I go with the combination of what I watch, and then I start to envision how it can play out. I just see Tatum or Brown catching a lot on the wing with kind of it's the Celtics don't do a lot of empty corner stuff, so probably have someone in space to the corner, but it'll be catch on the wing with just tips already turned the wrong way for the defender, and whether it be Tatum or Brown or Brogdon or White, because those are the best guys with it, they're off to the paint right away off the catch they're, they're downhill Tatum and Brown do it a little bit more more to score for themselves Brogdon does it 
almost solely to score for himself. And then White, you know, whether he's shooting his runner or his floater or, you know, a driving kick. But that's what I see happening. And then you'll force Atlanta into overhelping. That opens up the guys in the corners, you know, whether it be Al or Grant or if Muscala gets in or one of those guys. Those guys are also so good from the corners that it's just, it's, I, I just don't know how Atlanta defends th- this team. I just, Part of me says just lean into it, lean into offense, and just you know try, try your best, and then you know you'll, you'll at least get a sense of all right who could hang offensively. If you're the Hawks, uh, this is where I'll dip into the other half of my brain, covering the league as a whole. Of all right, now we have a sense who can hang offensively. Those are the guys we keep. The other guys go, and we rebuild around those guys with defense, with shooting, with, with what we need. Because that's the last thing I'll say is. I think people have this conception of the Hawks as being this great shooting team. They're they're not. They they really aren't a good shooting team. It's Trey Young is the three point threat. Everybody else is shaky at best. They took yo. I want to say, look it up. They were thirtieth in the league in three point attempt rate this season, which is you know the complete opposite of the Celtics almost. So. Yes, Trey Young threat from you know basically the mini it's half court. Everybody else, you're kind of gonna if you're Boston. Hey, if you hit a whole bunch of threes, John Collins, Sadiq Bay, DeAndre Hunter, tip our cap and we move along. Now they do like to get inside. They were the number one team in taking two point shots because obviously if you're 30th in attempt rate, you're shooting from somewhere. So they take they take a ton of two pointers, but a lot of their two pointers are. Young floaters, Murray, you know, kind of working in the mid-range. And then, of course, you know, Capella and Collins are on the rim. And Boston's going to have to be aware of that. I do worry about Horford and Rob picking up fouls, just trying to defend guys on lob plays and those kind of things at the rim. And then then you could get into trouble because now you, then you're into the Muscala's, Cornets, Blake Griffins, and that's where Trey Young could go to work against them in drop coverage or against them, you know, just a step too slow um, and what they need to be. But those are more, again, I go back to now we're into like, all right, if, 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 all right, maybe then they'll be in trouble. And it's like, if I'm on the fifth, if, and that's only still a, maybe, I I don't know. I just, maybe I'm way too overconfident. I just, I don't know. I just don't see it. You see, I came into this season believing that Atlanta, or what I like to call a situational contender. So it's very much the chips fall right for them in the postseason the way it did. It's two seasons ago now, yeah. right when they made yeah. it, and you know they have this run to the finals because everyone they play against is kind of like the perfect matchup for them. Then yeah, they're a situational contender. It's very based on what how the chips fall for them. So there is a world where I'm like, hey, they could give Boston problems because that you know if it's the right situation, if the Celtics. Don't come with the right scheme in the first game, maybe the first two games. Maybe it takes Missoula two games to adjust to the, the way playoff basketball is because it is a, it's basically a different league. The play style changes quite dramatically at times. Then, yeah, there's a situation where I could see Boston having to chase a series. I just don't, I think that's a one in a thousand chance. And then I, I do want to kind of point out kind of, it's not a hot take because I don't do hot takes, but an opinion I've got is I think this series is better suited to Sam Hauser than it is to Grant Williams. Mm. 
I think if I was going to run Grant, it'd be more at the five as a small ball big, just to give you some more um, mobility and versatility when guarding the perimeter. Again, to force bigs out of the paint because Grant can hit the free from above the break off the catch and allow Sam Hauser to be one of those release fouls for you. And again, to try and force Atlanta out of what they do offensively by trying to hunt one of the best defenders in the history of the universe, apparently, because no one seems to have much luck. Um, so I do think that, is something we may see experimented with. I don't think it's a series that Grant Williams can't thrive in. I think he can genuinely be a, an impactful member of the rotation. But I would like to see him experimented with at that five position just for a game or two against Atlanta, not throughout the entire playoffs, just because I feel like he gives you something there that the Hawks can't replicate and they, they will struggle to like mitigate and navigate that i'm using lots of gate words here but you you get the gist right they're going to struggle to kind of compartmentalize how to deal with him how to get an advantage against him and how to limit what he's doing for the celtics offensively and defensively so i think that might be a little bit of an adjustment we see in maybe game three maybe game four potentially game five i i'm gonna go a slightly different way i think everybody has collectively in celtics you know, media and fandom decided it's going to be an eight-man rotation in the playoffs. And I don't know why. I think they're going to play nine. I think both Hauser and Grant are going to play. I think they're both going to play. I think Rob's going to play and Brogdon, and that's your bench. There's your four-man bench, and those guys are going to play. Now, someone's going to play shorter minutes, right, because we we assume maybe it doesn't come to pass necessarily in this series. But as things go along, and, and I think you'll – there are times when it will make sense to cut that down to maybe eight guys. But I, I, it, it's, I find the whole, is it going to be Grant or Hauser conversation to just be kind of funny? Because I think it's the answer is both. Like, I think they're both going to be out there because I think you're going to see the space for Grant is Atlanta almost always plays with two bigs or a big ish second guy. And when I say big-ish, it's like Jalen Johnson or Sadiq Bay kind of playing at the four. Grant's fine against those guys. So he, he's really good to, to defend those guys, playing alongside Rob, playing alongside Al. Um, they'll go to their kind of – I think you're going to see their three bigs are going to essentially be Okongwu, Capella, and um, Collins. So Boston will counter with their three bigs of Horford, Rob, and Grant. And that'll just be the way they'll do it. And you'll see times when, yeah, they'll run two bigs on the floor uh, quite quite a bit because that's what makes sense to do at that time. And I think it's going to be probably more of, all right, the offense has built us a little bit of a lead. Let's try to let the defense kind of hold serve here or shut them down enough that we're, we're continuing to push that lead out. And that'll be when you'll see you know, Grant and Rob or Grant now or maybe even Allen Rob. I don't know that we're going to see a ton of Allen Rob to, together because I think that gives the Hawks almost now Capella has a guy to guard and Rob that gives Collins a slight not that Horford's easy to cover but it gives him a slight out because Horford's not a really on the move guy but I think when they go into their other stuff that's when you'll see you know all right now let's put put two bigs out there so and there is a hundred percent a place for Sam Hauser in this series because we talked a lot about it is you get the Hawks and scrambled in rotation. Now you started the cycle. Well, that's where Hauser thrives, right? Because he's so good at finding just that little bit of space. And the dude has such a quick release that it is, he doesn't need much, right? It's just 
give them that little sliver of space. Let them find find that that little crack. Generally, it's going to be at the three point line. Um, with that, you know, and you go. The other piece with Hauser, and and maybe I'm overreacting to now he's a dunk machine. Obviously, right? We've seen that, but I think Hauser, White, uh, Jalen Brown, especially um, Tatum on occasion, uh, Grant, and then Brogdon. They're all such good cutters, and that's where they're going to carve Atlanta up. There's going to be a lot of stuff where it's either the big facilitating from the top, picking out cutters on back cuts or cross screens, or it's going to be one guy drives, and they're going to be prepared for, all right, they're kicking it to the corner. (laughs) That guy's not in the corner anymore. He (laughs) drove into the dunker spot, and there he is now. And the Celtics have enough passers that they'll they'll carve that up with ease. So that's going to be – other reasons why I think both Grant and Hauser can play in this series. I want to touch on something here with Missoula versus Snyder, because that seems to be right. Boston fans wouldn't be Boston fans if they didn't panic about every playoff opponent, right? So there are two things right now. Are they're going to savage us on the offensive glass. We've already kind of covered that. The other piece that I'm hearing is Snyder has all this playoff experience and Joe Missoula has none. Yeah. Quinn Snyder's also the the next game is going to be game 23 with the Hawks. Like he's still very, very clearly, even in that playing game is trying to figure out this roster and what he has and, you know, who these guys are and how he can use them. Missoula has twice as much experience, almost four times as much experience with this Celtics team than Snyder has. If this was Snyder in year five with the Hawks. Yeah. I would say Snyder's got the coaching advantage. But it's just, I think that's just severely negated by the fact that he doesn't even know what he has yet, right? He's still trying to figure out his best lineup combinations and all those things. We can readdress that a year from now if this comes to pass and they play again. I may feel completely differently. But, you know, it's, it's, I, I think sometimes too, I would hope we learned our lesson, right? And I, I was the guy who, you know, I think three series in a row picked the other team to have the advantage because it was like, all right, well, you know, Steve Nash, not a great coach, but at least he's kind of been there a little longer than Ime Udoka. And then, uh, you know, definitely by the time we get to uh, Budenholzer and Spolster and Kerr, but it was like, all right, at some point, how much does that matter, right? Because unless we see Ime Udoka do, or now I'm thinking Ime, Joe Mazzula do something ridiculous, like, you know, I'm going to get really cute and I'm going to start Luke Cornett and, you know, uh, Peyton Pritchard, just because, I, you know, here's some weird advantage thing, which he's not going to do. Then, fine, rip him, criticize him, you know, if it's like, hey, the first dude off the bench is Justin Champagny, just because. Like, yeah, then rip him, but he's not going to do those things. So at the end of the day, coach doesn't make any shots. They don't defend anybody. So unless all of a sudden it's like, holy crap, Atlanta had a counter prepared for everything Boston wants to do magically defensively, and they're carving the Celtics up, and Missoula's not changed a single thing, be personnel or scheme-wise, then you can rip them. I just don't think that's going to be how it goes. So I'm really not concerned about that part of it. No, I think that Missoula's proven himself to be quite flexible in terms of adjustments on the fly, and that's not what we saw at the beginning of the year. You know, there was no timeouts. He kind of yeah. really doubled down on a, on what he wanted his team to do. And it was to the detriment at some times. And at other times it helped kind of steer them through a difficult four or five minutes where they just kept chipping away, doing mm-hmm. what they were told to do. So there's ups and downs there. But I think that, especially since the All-Star break, we've seen Missoula be very willing to change course on the fly. He'll 
They'll change the way they're playing defense. They'll, they'll change their matchups. They'll change the type of system they're running. If the shots aren't falling, they actually start attacking the rim now, which we didn't see earlier in the year. And I, I'm I'm big on coaching advantages. I know we spoke about this before. Perhaps it's grown up in England where football or soccer managers <laughs> are just praised as these geniuses and it's just chipped into my brain. Um, but I do think there are advantages to be had in who's quick, who's first to make an adjustment because the one who makes the adjustment first now forces you to react. And I'd rather be the guy setting the tone than reacting to the tone. But yep. I just, I'm going to chime in real quick if I can too. Just a reminder because the deeper this goes, I'm going to say this. I'll be a, become a broken record on it. Playoffs are about making adjustments. Then it's making adjustments to those adjustments. That's yeah. that's where it wins. That's why for so long Mike Budenholzer co- coached teams were just not good because he didn't change anything. It was this is who we were in the regular season. This is who we are in the playoffs. And that's it. And, you know, then, you know, they went down. It was when he won, good, you know, far better. You know, he's got Giannis. So, you know, I'm not probably not going to change a lot either. But also it was when he got to a point where it was like, hey, like, all right, these are the tweaks I'm going to make. And now he does make changes and he makes tweaks. And probably still a little later because I think he has a belief in, hey, eventually water will find its level and what we, what has worked for us will work. But, yeah, that's where, you know, we got to see that with, with Missoula in the playoffs. Cause I think to the point you were making is we got into the second half of the season or really the final third of the season. He did. He started calling timeouts earlier when other teams were making runs. And I think that was one. It was, I think his hope was, Hey, don't have to use them all. The guys will figure out how to play through it. And I think he learned, all right, they're not going to, so I need to step up here and do this. And then I think the other thing was I, that Milwaukee game when they went into Milwaukee and absolutely destroyed them. That felt like a playoff game to me from the sense of he had a very specific game plan. And then throughout the course of that game, he made tweaks and adjustments to it. To any time the box made even a little mini run, it was, all right, we're going to do this instead. You know, it was in, they started that game with smart guarding Giannis, which in a regular season, that's like, huh, really? And I think that was, let's try this to find out, can this work when we, when, if we meet these guys in the postseason? I want to know. Can, can this be something we go to? And they, they they tried some stuff and looked at some things. And that's where I've seen those, that mini series with Toronto, where they, they played one way in the first game, then played slightly differently in the second game. Those are the things where I feel very confident in Missoula saying, yeah, he's he's got it in him. And the reality is this dude was on Brad's staff. He was on Eme's staff. He's been through these playoffs. So he knows you know, how to make He just has to be now the, the final decision maker, right, to say, yes, this is how we're going to run this as opposed to, you know, just a kind of guy who's like, all right, I'm going to throw a suggestion out there, but it's really somebody else's decision. He has to be the one to say, yes, this is the change we're going to make. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to kind of relate this to a TV show now, just to kind of like cement the point that you're making. I'm currently working my way through designated survivor on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen that, that show. Is that the one that starts off with like, like the, the state of the union is like, bombed or something yeah the secretary of housing or something like that yeah he's like, like the 68th guy yeah. in succession okay. yeah i think but, i watched like the first two so i have a bad habit with tv shows of i'll watch like the first couple and if it doesn't grab me i'm like i'm out i'm not gonna invest any more time in this i've i it's not good but i spend very little time watching things that aren't basketball they're like i have to be really invested to stick with it and watch it 
So I've got better at that. Like there was a point in time where it was basketball or nothing. And now I've kind of become like, hey, if I want my brain to focus enough on basketball <laughs> to pull to actually take context away from what I'm watching, I got really into wrestling. I watch a lot of wrestling now. Um, but I like one TV show to to work through at my own pace. And at the minute I'm on Designated Survivor. And the reason I've kind of brought this up is because this is a guy that has been on the sidelines his whole political career, giving his opinion and letting somebody else make that final call. And then he's thrust into a position where now he's the guy having to make that final decision. And you see as the show progresses, I'm on season three at the moment, those decisions are delayed. He He kind of... You know, pitter patters with decisions. He, he he's one foot in, one foot out, and then by the third season, those decisions are snappy. They're quick, right? This is my this is what we're going to do. I've took your advice. We're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. And I think that Missoula is kind of elevated into that third season of Designated Survivor, where we feel confident in not only his decision making, but the speed which is making those decisions. And I just wanted to use that reference to kind of compound that point and to obviously apparently give Netflix some free promo, which is, what <laughs> I've just done, you know, um, before we get out of here, I just want to take this left a little bit. I want to give a shout out to one of the writers at heavy. He went to the finals last year when the Celtics were there and he sent me this. So I'm going to get it out. His name's Alda Alamo. So I just want to give Alder a shout out. He went and got, when he was at the finals, he got like a finals pack. And it come with some patches, and he, he, he shipped them over to England for me. So he got me the NBA nice. final patch, the 75 patch, and the Celtics patch. And I just thought that was super dope, a really nice thing to do. Was just yeah, that's really cool. So, um, you know, it's not basketball-related per se, but I feel like that definitely deserves a shout-out because I'm incredibly grateful. Oh, it's basketball-related. Yeah, sure. it's patches, yeah. dude. I don't, those things don't exist here. Um, yeah, no, that's awesome. That being that's said, really cool. We won't be back now until Monday, which means game one would have been done in yep. the books. Do you want to give a score prediction, or do you want to just say whether you think the Celtics win or drop game one? Uh, I mean, I don't know what the score – it's going to be high scoring, more high scoring than I think. I think we have this mindset still the playoffs are all played at 100 to 95, right? And it's – I. They're not anymore. It is slightly more than that. It will come down. The regular season explosion we saw every year, we see just games slow down a little bit, guys. Guys value possessions a little bit more. So Celtics win, high scoring. I, again, I picked a sweep. That's what I'm on record. That's my on-the-record pick uh, there. So obviously I think Boston's going to win. But, yeah, I think, think pretty high scoring. We know uh, afternoon game, the uh, crowd's probably going to be pretty well fired up. Uh, there in Boston, I think, think they're going to be uh, full, fully ready to go. So yeah, I think it's going to be a really fun uh, afternoon. And man, the, the players are just the best. Like it's it's, I love basketball no matter what. The regular season, I I don't feel the way a lot of people do of like it just isn't good and all that. I think it is really good, but the playoffs are just it's and it's that whole we're all watching the same one game right at the same time like and we're all like dialed in on it it's just i don't know i absolutely love it and i'm psyched for you man that it's early enough that early well, you, you'll get you'll get to catch it live which which i think is also really fun yeah it always throws my day into a tailspin because i'm so <laughs> used to like the first thing i do in the morning is watch a game and now it's like right okay my whole day needs to go in reverse so that i'm free to watch it but we have a ritual in my house um that i've done ever since my daughter was born. If the game's on early enough and it's the first playoff game of every season, we'll either watch it live on the nighttime or we'll watch it 
I'm recording the next day. But the whole I live in a household, no one cares about basketball at all. <laughs> but I've kind of made it like I've said to some of my daughter, I'm like, even when you've got boyfriends or what or you're married with kids, everyone comes around for the first playoff game of the it. season that the Celtics play. So mm-hmm. um, you know, we're gonna get some gonna do like an american thing get some nachos get some like nacho like cheese and some i'll get some like cause light or something and we'll just do it well she won't drink obviously but i'll do like <laughs> an american day so i'm excited Perfect. um i'm also a bit nervous because every time the celtics play early early they uh did lay a goose egg so that's always a concern yeah that, that is definitely true but yeah we'll we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll see you know i i just yeah i, I don't know I, I i just i just don't see it no, 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 I When I asked you to what if you thought that to give a game a prediction, it wasn't until I, the words left my mouth that in my head I'm like, <laughs> you said a sweep already. Why am I asking such a silly question? Yeah. No, With that said, <laughs> I'm very excited for this playoffs to start. I think that we've got so much data from the last 82 that we know what this Celtics team is capable of. A lot of us won't have watched the. Uh, Atlanta as much as what you have, Keith, because you're superhuman when it comes to consuming <laughs> the amount of basketball that's out there. Tatum in the is that Tatum? There he is, checking yeah, in. Yeah, buddy. Show. I've got my daughter <laughs> watching Henry downstairs because he's just a whirlwind at the moment. <laughs> With that said, everybody have a great weekend. Enjoy the basketball. It's not just going to be the Celtics playing. It's going to be high level ball all weekend. Uh, have fun. Don't do anything we wouldn't do. And we'll be back on Monday, Keith. Thank you very much, man. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the best weekends of the year, you know, eight games in two days, fantastic stuff. Enjoy it. And then have naps, lots of naps.